Dr. Richard is married to his wife, Jennifer, and they have three children. Uh, since 2017, he has served as the executive director and now president of Reformed Theological Seminary Atlanta. Uh, Dr. Richard also serves as the associate uh, professor in systematic theology. Prior to his uh, service at RTS Atlanta, he served as the senior minister for the First Presbyterian Church in Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, he served there for 12 years. His ministry there was marked by the beginning, uh, the, well, the, the end phase of Hurricane Katrina. So he, he starts his ministry with uh, funerals and building uh, reconstruction and just a whole lot of uh, turmoil in the midst of the church. And so he is no stranger to, uh, to suffering and hardship. Uh, Dr. Richard speaks at conferences and churches throughout this nation and uh, throughout the world. He is the author of four books. Uh, he writes many articles uh, and he blogs frequently on his uh, blog, The Suburb From the Suburbs of Heaven. I've had the opportunity to get to know Dr. Richard for four years as I have served uh, as the admissions director at RTS Atlanta. I've come to know him as a man that uh, he leads by example. He's the first one in, last one out. He's always working. Um, and as a, a minister of God's word, he teaches it uh, with passion and with clarity. And so it's my honor to welcome uh, to East Point Church this morning, Dr. Guy Richard. Let's welcome. Thank you for that. I'm still trying to figure out who Pasquale was talking about there, because it certainly wasn't me. Um, uh, I am grateful for the opportunity to be with you this morning. It is a tremendous privilege for me to be here. Although I will say, because of Pasquale and Sharon, and because of Tony Simpson, and because of Chris Shepard, and because of many others in the congregation, the Duncansons as well, and Pastor Carter, and I feel like I'm at home to some degree because I know so many of you. Uh, I am, uh, we've been here before, we've worshiped with you guys before, and so it is a great delight uh, to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. Uh, I do so with a great deal of uh, fear and trepidation. For 12 years, as Pasquale said, I served as a pastor and had the privilege, the opportunity of proclaiming God's Word each and every week. Now, having uh, changed that and now serving in the seminary, I have to be invited to preach. And so it has cemented within me the unique privilege that this really is uh, to share God's Word with you. If you have a copy of God's Word, please open it to Luke 11. Uh, I think it will be up on the screen. If not, uh, you can follow along in the Bible in front of you. I'll be reading from Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. Well-known section on the Lord's Prayer, a different version, the parallel from what occurs in Matthew chapter 6. Luke 11, beginning in verse 1, I want to read through verse 13, and then we'll ask the Lord's blessing this morning. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves 
Forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father and our God, you are a mighty God. You are a great God, and as has been said, you are greatly to be praised. Father, we come before you this morning asking that you would visit us just as you have your saints for generations and generations and generations before. Come and rend the heavens. Come and tear them apart, if you will, and, and come down and meet with us this morning, not only in our singing and our praying, but also, Father, in our reading and proclaiming of your word. You are the God of your word. Father, come, we pray, and bless this word to our hearts and to our lives and to our minds so that we might mirror what it says in our lives, so that we might be more faithful in our living and in our praying. Father, bless and keep us, we pray this morning. Forgive us of our sins, for it's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. I am convinced, after having been a Christian now for about 30 years, I know I don't look old enough to be a Christian for 30 years, um, Thank you for that thought. I'm convinced after being a Christian now for 30 years that prayer may well be the most convicting topic of the Christian life. I think we all would, would acknowledge that there are times in our lives when we have been devoted to prayer and, and there are times in our lives when we haven't been. When things have been tough, no doubt we, and we have nowhere else to turn, no doubt we turn to the Lord in prayer. But when things aren't so tough, when things are manageable, when we can handle, and we can walk by sight 
and not by faith. It's then that we oftentimes forget God. We don't pray the way that we know that we ought to. I think the more that we spend time praying, I think too we begin to see the shortcomings in our own prayer life. And the more we begin to see that we don't pray as often as we ought. We don't pray as eloquently as we ought. We don't pray as fervently as we ought. And the more time we spend in prayer, I think the more we feel that conviction. I don't need, I don't want to come and bring extra conviction this morning. It's easy. I think almost every book on prayer that I've read seems to leave me feeling worse off than when I read it before I started reading it. We feel convicted already. We feel that weight already. Just by thinking about prayer, just by thinking about our failures in regard to it, And so what I want to do this morning is not add to the burden of conviction that all of us, regardless of how long we've been a Christian, regardless of how often we've given ourselves to prayer, we feel that weight, that conviction. I don't want to add to that this morning. I want to do two things instead. One, I want to encourage you, and I want to motivate you. I want to encourage you by the example of the disciples and by the work, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to motivate you to pray as well. And so, Lord willing, that will be the overarching outline for our message this morning. There are three points under point number two, motivation. Uh, That will be the bulk of where we spend our time. But I want to encourage you for a few moments this morning, even as we take up this convicting, this weighty, weighty, subject. I want to encourage you with the example of the disciples, because I want to suggest to you the disciples are exactly where you and I are this morning, here in Luke 11, as they're, as they're hearing, or excuse me, as they're seeing Jesus pray. Jesus is here, and He's praying, and we're told in verse 1 of chapter 11 that Jesus is praying in a certain place. I want to suggest to you that the disciples were not simply watching Jesus, although that would have been convicting enough, no doubt, to look over at our Lord and Savior, to see the earnestness, no doubt, that had to have been there in His face, to see His body language as He's communing with His heavenly Father, no doubt, that must have been a sight to see. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the disciples were not simply watching Jesus pray. But I want to suggest that they were hearing Jesus pray as well. You see, prayer in the early church, prayer in the early centuries of the church was an audible thing. It was done out loud. I want to suggest to you that there was nothing like silent prayer in the ancient church. We know that from 1 Samuel chapter 1. I think 1 Samuel chapter 1 gives us a glimpse of that. We know it from more than just in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We know it because Hebrew, the Hebrew culture, was an oral culture. Everything was done out loud. Nothing was done in writing. Uh, very little, actually, was done in writing. It was all pa- Things were passed down from generation to generation out loud. But in 1 Samuel chapter 1, you know the story very well. Elkanah goes uh, to, uh, with his two wives, Penina 
and Hannah. Hannah uh, had no children. She was barren. Penina was bountiful and was producing many, many children. And Penina used to throw that up in Hannah's face. We're told in verse 7 of 1 Samuel chapter 1 that year by year, Penina used to provoke Hannah. And Hannah was grieved. And at one time, they go to Shiloh. And Hannah, rather than sacrificing, apparently goes into the temple and she begins to pray. And we're told in verse 10 that she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all his days, all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. And then listen to what it says here. Isn't this beautiful? Therefore, because she was praying in her heart, because her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out, therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. You see, that was not the accepted custom. The fact that someone would go into the temple and pray in their heart silently was a mark that something was wrong, and Eli assumed she must be intoxicated. And of course, you know the rest of the story. She goes on and says, no, I'm not drunk. I'm deeply distressed. I'm vexed. And I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. I think what that tells us is that in Hebrew culture, prayer was done that way. Prayer was done out loud. There was no such thing as going off by oneself to pray silently or to pray in a public setting private, uh, silently. There was no such thing as a silent reading. Reading was done out loud in the ancient Hebrew culture. And so what, I think what this tells us is that the disciples were not simply watching Jesus, as convicting as no doubt that would have been, to watch our Lord and Savior pray, but they were hearing Him pray as well. They were listening to the turn of phrase, listening to the words that He used, listening to the unction, the power that dripped from those words. And after seeing him, and after hearing him pray, they're cut to the heart. They're convicted. It's as if they never really knew how to pray in the first place, because what, they, what do they say? They say, Lord, teach us to pray. They realize in seeing Jesus and in hearing Jesus pray, they don't know the first thing about prayer. They need to be taught how to pray. And I think... That ought to give us great encouragement this morning. Because you see, there's nothing new under the sun. For 2,000 years, at least, of church history, God's people have struggled with prayer. We've struggled to pray as often as we ought. We've struggled to pray as fervently as we ought. We've struggled to pray as eloquently as we ought. And so if you are struggling with prayer, if you've ever struggled with prayer here this morning, and I'm tempted to, to ask by, by a show of hands, but, but I'm afraid I'd put those on the spot who didn't raise their hand. They might feel like, we might all feel like they were lying, actually. 
because we all struggle with it. None of us has arrived. Jesus is the only perfect prayer ever to walk the face of this earth. So there's encouragement that the disciples, long before us, men who were discipled by Jesus Himself, they struggled with prayer. If you and I are as well this morning, we're in good company. But I think there's also encouragement in being reminded anew and afresh of exactly what it is that Jesus has done. Because you see, our Lord and Savior came and He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death, taking the weight of your sins and my sins upon Himself, all of them, past, present, and future, all of them were nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. But you see what that means. is It's not just the selfishness. It's not just the pride. It's not just the gossip. It's not just the materialism. It's the prayerlessness too. You see, Jesus died for all of our failures in regard to prayer. So as we approach this topic and we feel the conviction and we feel the weight of our failures in regard to prayer, let's remember that there's nothing new under the sun. And let's remember the great faithfulness of our God that we sang about this morning. The great faithfulness of our God who is for us regardless of our prayerlessness, regardless of our struggles. He is for us in Christ Jesus. So as we approach this topic, let's keep those things in mind. That we take this up with that level of encouragement knowing that even our shortcomings in regard to prayer are not too much. They're not beyond the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one unforgivable sin. And I would suggest to you that that is final unbelief. To finally reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. To turn your backs upon Him once and for all Ultimately, that is the only unforgivable sin. Everything else you and I do is not only forgivable, but has been forgiven already in Christ Jesus. So now to motivation. You see, what I really want to do is somewhat selfish. I have to confess that this morning. Because with all of my failures in regard to prayer as well, I need to be constantly motivated. I need to be reminded of all that prayer is and all that prayer does so that I will be encouraged and motivated to give myself to it because it's not necessarily fun. I don't wake up every morning, and maybe this is time for true confessions, but I don't wake up every morning and hit the, hit the, hit, put my feet on the, on the floor and say, I get to pray this morning. There are times like that. There are times like that in the Christian life where we're, if you will, on the mountain type and we feel close to the Lord, but there are many times when we don't feel that way. And it's hard work to put one foot in front of the other, much less 
to be able to go to the Lord in prayer. And so I want to motivate you. I want to motivate you with three things this morning. First, that God answers prayer. God answers prayer. I think that's the overwhelming impression. I hope you heard that when we read the passage this morning. Look at verses 9 and 10. This is, remember, before we read this again, this is the only perfect theologian ever to walk the face of the earth. There was no error in his doctrine, no error in what he believed, no error in what he taught, no error in any. He's the only one for what's that is true. And notice what he says in verses 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask, and it might be given to you. Right? Seek, and you might find. Knock, and perhaps, just maybe, the door will be open to you right? For everyone who asks mm, has a chance of receiving. That's not what Jesus says. This is astounding. Let, let it sink in for a moment. The only perfect theologian who ever walked the face of the earth, and Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks to him or her, it will be opened. Now I wonder if that's been your experience. Have you asked? And received everything you've asked for? Have you prayed? And God has given you every single thing you've prayed about. If so, please come see me. Because that's not been my experience. No, what does Jesus mean? This is Jesus, the only perfect theologian who ever walked the face of the earth, and he's telling us things that we know experientially can't be right. Because we've all experienced unanswered prayer, at least in the way we've prayed it. Well, I think what Jesus is saying is several things. Jesus is not telling us he doesn't know about all of the qualifications that the Bible gives. Because the Bible makes some qualifications, right? We can think of James. We sung uh, that line from James chapter 4, you have not because you ask not. But then James goes on, doesn't he? He says there's a qualification there. And when you ask, you ask selfishly to spend it on yourself, your own passions. So James is saying you cannot ask selfishly and expect that you're just by asking that you're going to receive what you asked for. So we know that James is giving us at least one qualification there. Jesus also gives qualifications, doesn't he? Other places in the Gospels. Jesus will say, ask in my name, and you have what you asked of me. John will talk about asking in, uh, according to the will of God. So we know the Bible is giving us all of these kinds of qualifications from elsewhere, uh, elsewhere in its pages. How come Jesus doesn't give us any qualifications here? And it's not just Jesus. Did he not know those qualifications? Absolutely he knew those qualifications, right? 
He's the only perfect theologian ever to walk the face of the earth, the only perfect person ever to walk the face of the earth. He knew all of the qualifications. So why doesn't Jesus give them? More, why doesn't James give all of the qualifications? He only gives one. And when Jesus does give a qualification, he only gives one or so. Why is there no place in the Bible where all of these qualifications are given? Why doesn't Jesus say, everyone who asks receives, except when you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, and except when you fail to ask in my name, and except when you, don't, when you fail to ask according to the will of God, and when you fail to ask, why doesn't Jesus do that? What's Jesus doing? What would you and I take away from this passage if Jesus did that? If Jesus gave us every one of these qualifications that we know are there, but if Jesus stacked them all up and put them all right there, one after the other, what would you and I focus on? Wouldn't we focus on the qualifications and we'd miss the weight of the promise that's held out to us. Everyone who asks, receives. You see, Jesus knew the qualifications, but he also knew us. And he knew that we needed to feel the weight of this promise, the weight of this reality, that God is a God who answers prayer. We need to be reminded that we have not because we ask not, so that we would be motivated to pray, to go in prayer, go in prayer. Have you trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. God is a God who answers prayer. That's the first thing I want to motivate you with. But I also want you to see the kind of prayer that God answers. The kind of prayer that God answers. Did you pick up on it again in verses 9 and 10? Specifically in verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. There are two things I think we need to see here. One is that Jesus is using the present tense. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but it is. There's a difference when I say, I am preaching to you this morning, or with you, I am with you this morning. There's a difference when I say that and when I say, I was with you, right? One is ongoing, one is past, and over. Or when I, if I say, I will be with you, that's future. Hasn't happened yet, but it will happen, right? So the fact that we say use present tense in English or in this case in Greek, the fact that we use present tense shows ongoing present action. Why is that significant? I think it's incredibly significant. Because Jesus is not saying, therefore, ask one time and it will be given to you. Seek one time, and you will find. Knock once, and that's it. The door will be open to you. Now, it may be that we ask once, 
and God answers. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. God is able to do as he wants to do. And he does all the time. But here, Jesus is saying, ask and keep on asking. It's persistence in asking. That's what he's talking about. We pray and we pray and we pray. If something burdens us, if we want to see God answer prayer, we will go on praying. And isn't that exactly the point of the story that Jesus says? Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. No GPSs, right? Didn't know he was going to get there at midnight. No stores, no drive throughs Couldn't go pick up something at McDonald's or wherever else, Chick-fil-A. He had to depend on the hospitality of his friend. There's no stores, no stores open. The friend couldn't go buy some bread at midnight. He had to, had to have bread to set before this friend who was visiting. Showed up at midnight, he had to have something. And so he goes to a neighbor and he knocks on the door and the friend says, do not bother me because my door is shut and my children are in bed with me. Now, I know there are differences in cultures, but this has to be a universal. I don't want my children in bed with me. I don't know about you guys, I love my children. I love them incredibly, although some of them may not always think that I love them incredibly, um, especially when they're being disciplined. But I don't want my kids in bed with me. Um, but nonetheless, apparently this man did. Um, uh, so he has his kids in bed with him and he can't get up. And so what does the man do? He knocks, he asks for bread, the man's in bed, the lights are out, kids are in bed with him, and, and what does he say? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to disturb you. It is midnight after all. You know, I guess my watch stopped working earlier. I guess I should have gotten here earlier. I'm sorry. I'll just do without. Right? No. He needs bread. And so because he needs bread, what does he do? He keeps on asking. The word here is impudence. I tell you, verse 8, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend... Yet because of his impudence, this word occurs only once in the New Testament, here. So we don't really know how to translate it. Impudence is not a bad translation. Some of your translations may say shameless persistence. That's also not a bad translation. The word literally, it's a, it's a combination word uh, that may be something like this. It's a compound word that actually means something like without shame shamelessness, shameless. So the point is, this man isn't embarrassed at the time. It's midnight. He isn't embarrassed that the guy's in bed with his children, and he's going to keep on pestering and keep on pestering, if you will, and keep on knocking until he hears. You see, that's the kind of prayer that God answers. It's a prayer that asks and keeps on asking that seeks and keeps on seeking, that knocks and keeps on knocking. But there's more. 
Because there's a difference, isn't there, between ask and seek and knock. Why does Jesus say all three? If it was just a matter of asking, surely Jesus would, not, would only say, ask and it will be given to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Why does Jesus add these other categories in? Asking and seeking and then knocking too. Because there is overlap, isn't there, between all three of those words. Asking and seeking something can oftentimes go together. And then knocking can oftentimes include many of the same ideas. But there's a slight nuance too, isn't there, between those words. Asking is different than seeking. Asking, uh, excuse me, seeking seems to carry a level of activity with it. You want something, you ask for it, but then you kind of take some steps. You, You take some things and you do some things. You seek it out. You actually put some action to that. And then knocking, no doubt, communicates an element of patience and patiently waiting. You knock, and then you wait for the door to be opened. I think Jesus is saying here that the kind of prayer he answers is the kind of prayer that asks and keep on asking, but also that seeks and knocks. And let me unpack that for you a little bit. In the passage we read, In 1 Samuel chapter 1, how did Hannah approach her barrenness? She went into the temple to pray. No doubt that wasn't the only time she prayed. This was something that was gripping her heart. She so desperately wanted children. And so she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. But that's not it. She didn't just pray and go home and sit on her hands. She went home and she slept with her husband. Right? There was activity there, right? She prayed, but then she also patiently waited because she could control the sleeping with the husband part, but she couldn't control the conception part. That has to come from the Lord. So she seeks and she knocks and she patiently waits for God in His time and in His way to answer that prayer. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus, that God answers. The kind that asks and keeps on asking and doesn't take no for an answer and is shameless. It's like my daughter asking for candy. Make her embarrassed this morning. It's like she asks and asks and eventually it's like, fine, just stop asking, right? In a sense, that's what it is. We don't have to twist God's arm. But the point is, He's already as inclined to you as He ever possibly could be. But there's something that that does to you and me to ask and to keep on asking, to seek and to keep on seeking, to knock and to keep on knocking and to wait and patiently wait for him to give. Third thing I want you to see this morning by way of motivation is the way that God answers prayer. We said God answers prayer. We said he answers prayer that's persistent and is shameless, if you will, and goes on asking and seeking and knocking. But I want you to see finally, thirdly, and finally, the way that God answers prayer. Look with me at verse 11 and following. If you're a parent this morning, surely this 
makes full sense to you. What father among you, we could say what mother among you, and maybe better, what mother among you, uh, I will I acknowledge to you this morning in front of everyone that I am somewhat relationally clueless in regards to kids. But my wife, it just comes naturally. Um, and I'm envious of that. I wish there was something in me that just naturally knew what to do with kids. It's not there. Um, try as I might. And, and my, I don't want to use it as an excuse. I'm not trying to use that as an excuse. Um, but my wife, I think my kids would identify that is true. That's a reality. Um, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Did you notice what Jesus doesn't say here? Now, I know Jesus doesn't say a lot of things, but notice one of the things he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, what father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will always give him a fish? He doesn't say, what father among you, if your son asks for an egg, you will always give him an egg? Why doesn't he say that? Because Jesus knows that good parents know that sometimes an egg is not appropriate, or sometimes a fish is not appropriate. Sometimes candy is appropriate, but sometimes candy is not appropriate. If all you're eating is candy, that's not appropriate. You need to have some other things in your diet besides candy. Well, that's, I think, what Jesus is saying. Good parents know how to take care of their children. There's a time for sweets. There's a time for desserts. But there's also a time for fish, and there's also a time for eggs, and there's also a time for chicken, and there's also a time for on and on. Our greens, and our salads, and all the rest. Yes, I know. That's spoken as one who hates broccoli. I hate broccoli, but I eat it. I eat it, because I know I should. I eat it. Uh, anyway, um, so Jesus is saying that God is very much the same way. God may not give us a fish when we ask for a fish. He may not give us an egg when we ask for egg. But what Jesus is saying is that God will not give us a serpent when we ask for a fish. He will not give us a scorpion when we ask for an egg. The same way that you and I, if our child asks for something, we're not going to give them something that's going to hurt them. We may not give them what they ask for. But we're not going to give them something that's going to hurt them. And Jesus says that's exactly the way God is. We ask for health, for healing. God may not give us healing. But whatever it is He gives, it's not going to be harmful. It's not going to be damaging. It's not going to be evil. But I want you to there's more here. Because Jesus says in verse 13 something, again, that should be unexpected. Given what he's just said in verses 11 and 12, what father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the heavenly Father give? And then wouldn't we expect Jesus to say good gifts here? 
He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? That's what we'd expect Jesus to say, but that's not what He says. That is what He says in Matthew chapter 7. If you look at the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus does say good things or good gifts in Matthew 7. He doesn't say that here. Why? We believe that the Bible is God's Word, all of it, from beginning to end. It is from Him, carries His authority, carries His characteristics and marks of divinity, if you will. It's trustworthy because He is trustworthy. It cannot contradict itself because He cannot contradict Himself. So his word carries all the marks of his character and who he is. Which means if Jesus in Matthew 7 says good things or good gifts, and Jesus in Luke 11 says Holy Spirit, then these two things must be taken together. So that whatever these two things mean, they cannot be contradictory. And they have to go together. So what I think Jesus is saying, if we take both of these things together, is that that God will, if we ask the Heavenly Father, He will give us the Holy Spirit and the good gifts of the Holy Spirit. So it's like, if you will, spiritual, capital S, spiritual things, spiritual gifts. That's what God's giving to us. That's what He's saying here. Now let me bring all that home. What I think Jesus is saying here is that everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks to him or her, the door will be opened. But it's not necessarily if we ask for a fish, we'll get a fish. It's not necessarily true that we ask for an egg, we'll get an egg. But what is true is if we ask for whatever it is we ask, let's say physical healing, that God will answer that prayer by giving spiritual good gifts. The Holy Spirit and the good things of the Holy Spirit. So if we ask for physical healing, it might not, we might not get physical healing. We might. And if we do, praise God. But if we ask for physical healing, what Jesus seems to be saying here is that we can guarantee, we can be confident that He will answer that prayer. He will answer that prayer, maybe not by physical healing, but He'll answer it with spiritual healing, at least. First time I ever preached this sermon, a couple of years ago, I preached it at my home church, and a man there came up to me afterwards, and he said, he told me then, three years ago, my wife died. She was sick in the hospital. I prayed. My family prayed. My extended family prayed. We wept and prayed. We poured our hearts out to the Lord. We pled with Him to spare her life. All for naught. She died. 
So what do I do with that? What do I do with that? But all of these prayers wasted. All of these prayers fell to the ground unanswered. What kind of a God does that? That was his whole point. What I said was exactly what Jesus says here, I think. It's whatever we have to say about those prayers, one thing, is, one thing we can say for sure is that those prayers were not wasted. Those prayers did not fall to the ground unanswered. God answered those prayers. He answered them for spiritual things. He asked for physical healing. He didn't get physical healing. Jesus says sometimes we'll ask for a fish. We're not going to get a fish. But we know we're not going to get a serpent. This man asked for a fish. He didn't get it. And he was ready to turn his back on God and turn away forever. God was to blame. God was in the dock and he was on trial because he didn't do as this man thought he should have done. The Lord is able to give physical healing if he wants to give physical healing. But what I said to this man is, I don't know what God did. I don't know what God is doing in and through that circumstance. But the Bible tells us that God is doing something. And that all of those prayers and all of the tears and all of the pain and the anguish that went into those prayers did not fall away empty. But God is seeing and God is acting and God is doing. We don't know exactly what He's doing. Maybe members of the household came to faith in Christ. Maybe doctors and nurses that observed all of the situation came to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe those who believed had their faith strengthened. Maybe the man himself was put into a place of responsibility where he had to take spiritual responsibility for himself and for his children and not rely upon his wife to do all of that for the family. We don't know, but we know that our God is good and His loving kindness endures forever. Amen. Let's pray together.